The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning, church family. For those of you who don't know, I'm Kylie, Pastor Jared's daughter, and I'll be doing the scripture reading today. If you could please stand. I will be reading Matthew 6, verses 1 through 24. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Right. You guys can be seated. I want to tell you that now, since they didn't do that at my wedding. About a quarter way through my wedding, my dad sets up and he's like, all right, just sit down, everybody. It's going to be fine. So... Hey, good morning and welcome to Story City Church. We are so glad that you are here. Again, my name is Jared. I get to serve as one of your pastors. It is a pleasure to be with you guys this morning, both those of you who are joining us inside, those outside, and those online. We are excited that you are here. Here at Story City Church, yes, amen, that's right, that's right, let's do it. Hey, for those of you guys who don't know, amen is a Christianese word for yeah, let's get it, I agree, let's go, that's good. So it's good to say amen, it's good to speak back in church, all right, no one's going to be like, get that guy out of here, it's all right, it's all good, we love it. But here at at Story City Church, we're all about having healthy relationships with Jesus and people. It's really important to us. So how do we do that? We have to become apprentices of Jesus. Well, how do you apprentice Jesus? We start by spending time with him each and every day. We start by reading his, uh, his word, his Bible. It's the living words of God. We start by prayer, which is not just talking to God, but listening to God. 
right? And so we begin to do those things. We also do what he did. And so uh, I want us to understand that 90% of learning to do this is actually discovered with our families, our friends, around the dinner tables, around the water coolers. It's, it's with our coworkers, our bosses, our employees, the people that we interact with every day. That's actually 90% of where we learn to be apprentices of Jesus. The other 10% is what we do here on Sunday, gathering to honor Jesus, resting in who he is together as we lift his name up and learn how to be apprentices. But if this was the NFL, this would not be the game. This would be halftime in the locker room. Okay? Sundays is where we get refreshed. We get renewed. We get to remember the game plan as we go back out and live this the rest of our daily lives. And so it's important that we understand that, that we're going to go back and win this game against the enemy. Now, for those of you who are confused, the world is not the enemy. Okay? Sometimes us Christians get this backwards. Those of you who are, are still trying to figure out who Jesus is and all this stuff, I'm not speaking to you for this moment, but you Christians, especially those of you who've been Christians for a long time, all right? sometimes we mess this up. Okay? Look, we, we understand. You know what this church is made up of? Hypocrites. All right? We just need to own it. Can we be honest about that? We are broken, jacked up people. Let's just own it. It's all right, right? It's okay. It's all right to be that way. We are a broken, messed up people, but we're broken, messed up together. That's what makes us family. That's the good part about it. And so we have to understand, we're just as jacked up as the people around us, and so we're not trying to convince people that they need to be better. We're trying to introduce them to the one that makes us better. That's Jesus. That's our job. That's our rule. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 to 13 reminds us of this. It says, We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. Therefore, pick up the full armor of God so you can stand your ground on the evil day, and after you have done everything possible to still stand. The beautiful part about that is that we're not in this alone. We are together. Praise God. That's why we are the church. And I mean Big C Church, like including Radius, including City Life, including us. This is the good news. Amen? All right, you guys are awake this morning. Good. We are going to jump back into our uh, Sermon on the Mount series, and we are going through Jesus' sermon. But before we do that, let's get to the question, what is the most awkward thing about church? What do you got? Minute to mingle. Yeah, okay. That's a setup. We paid you to say that. Good. What else? That's all my introverts are in the corner like, I wanted to say that, but I couldn't. Yeah. What is it? What's the most awkward thing about church? Showing up late. Showing up late. All right. No one noticed, I promise, Nancy. <laughs> Singing at the wrong time. That can be awkward. I, I hate when I do that. Yeah. What's that? Having to, sneeze. Having to sneeze. All right. I feel like all these things happened this morning. That's, that's funny. What else? Laughing before everyone else. Laughing before everyone else. That, that's a daily problem, not just a church problem, but oftentimes laughing at my own jokes. What was that? I said little brothers. Little brothers. That can be awkward things about church. <laughs> what else? Money. Yeah, talking about money. That can be an awkward thing in church. Congratulations, we get to do that today. You're like, oh man, I knew I shouldn't have brought a guest today. <laughs> Try teaching it from up here. You guys are scary from the front on, right? You guys see everybody from the back. We get to see it from the front up here, and it's always scarier from this side. So, I got one. yeah, what do you got? Falling asleep in church. Falling asleep in church. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, in my last church, I had this poor man would, would come off night shift, and he would snore so loud in the front row, and I felt so bad for him. I was like, I don't mind you sleeping. I get it, but snoring is like a whole new level in church. Yeah, awesome. 
Well, guess what? Uh, we, a lot of those things have already happened this morning. It's happening. We're going to talk about tithing, giving, praying, fasting. So uh, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to have a good time, but I think you'll see today what we're trying to do is, is not get where we could spend time getting really deep into each one of those things and what it means. But what I want to do today is really get to the heart behind this. Because in Jesus' sermon, it all builds on itself. We understand that the Beatitudes, when Jesus says, hey, it's not like we get to pick one of those Beatitudes and, and that's, that's who we are. Oh, I like peacemakers. Oh, I want to be, I wanna be uh, meek. But we are called to be all of those things. That's actually who our identity is in Christ. Now that we are citizens of his new kingdom, we actually become all of these things. This is who Jesus is making us to be. And we can't see the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which encompasses five, six, and seven chapters of Matthew. We can't see those things unless we understand that's the foundation that is built off of. And so everything Jesus is talking about flows into this next teaching. This all is about the same heart. It's actually all connected. And so we're talking about do not murder. We talked about it's really the heart thing behind it. Do not lust. It's the heart behind it. As we get into giving, praying, and fasting, I want you guys to see it's the heart behind it. Now, this is our new gospel identity, our new character as disciples or apprentices or followers of Jesus. This is what he has been talking about. In this next section, so that's what we started off with first. In the next section, we see how we're going to react to the world and how the world around us was reacting to us. We were learning about a relationship to God's law and the contrast to what the religious leaders were teaching in verses 17 to 48 of chapter 5. And now, as we enter chapter 6, we're actually entering a new section or a new part of Jesus' sermon. This portion of Jesus' message is all about how we live in his presence, about how we depend on him, about how we, we, we rest in who he is, about how we find our strength, our identity. But, but really what this means is we carry out our daily lives. And Jesus is going to contrast the way of God's kingdom with our instincts. Okay, so last time, the last part of the scriptures, he was talking about, hey, this is what you've heard about religious law. Now I want you to see, he's getting to this new place in our hearts where he's saying, hey, even your hearts are going to tell you this is what it means to be a follower of me, and I want to contrast what the kingdom of God is compared to what your heart says it is, right? So this is the section that we're getting to. And again, as always, this teaching of Jesus isn't as much about the action he's describing as the heart behind it, including giving, praying, and fasting. Now, Jesus leads off with this powerful statement. He says, be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people to draw their attention. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, you might be thinking, I don't really care what people think. I'm certainly not worried about drawing attention to how I practice my faith or my religion or whether I have practiced it or not. It's nobody else's business. That's a very Western thing to say. But the problem is it really has nothing to do with what people see. The problem is ultimately about ourselves. This is what Jesus is actually drawing us into in this moment. And so if you're taking notes today, this is the first observation. As we learn to apprentice Jesus, the battle is not about our giving, but about our gospel identity. The battle is not about our giving, but about our gospel identity identity. Now let's be honest. We all love it when churches talk about money, right? Raise your hand if you love when a church talks about money. Okay, there's my financial people at this church. They're like, please talk about money more, Jared. We have some repairs we need to make to the building, right? No, we, we don't like talking about money, and we hate it when the church says, why? Because it's such a, a personal, private issue, and ultimately we don't want to be judged 
in how we spend our money. We don't want to be, people to be looking at us and telling us, well, you know, uh, this is what you should or shouldn't be doing with it. And so we create these barriers in our lives and, and, and we, we, we pass off our reaction to it. We, we justify it by saying, well, I've seen too many churches spend money in the wrong ways. I mean, there's pastors out there that have mansions or <coughs> multiple Harley Davidsons. And we rebel against giving money to the church. And then what we do is we either don't give to anybody out of, out of our own, you know, uh, 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 this is just my own deal. I'm just not going to give to anybody. Or we say, well, I, you know, I don't want to be a bad person. So I'm going to give to causes that, that make me feel good or causes that I think reflect who I am. Nothing wrong with that. But the problem is oftentimes we do this for the wrong reason. And so we need to ask ourselves, why is it that the creator of all the universe, who has access to everything that he needs, who created everything that he needs, why does he want our money? Why does God want our time, our attention, and our hearts? And then on top of that, not only does he want those things, but he actually asks us to give those things joyfully. What is the deal with that? I was... um. Once I was on staff at a mega church, and, uh, and I used to be in charge of announcements, and I got fired from doing announcements one day. <laughs> they used to, the, the time, you know, the order of service, right, is, is, is where do you put announcements? Like, if we put announcements in the very beginning, this is Southern California, you all do not show up on time, right? This is like, every Sunday, the worship team and I look at each other like, oh my God, there's going to be three people in church today. This is so bad. And then, you know, you fill in later, and it's okay. That's how it works. We get it. I understand. But... <laughs> they would, you got to move it and put it into place. So if we do announcements at the beginning, no one knows what you're talking about. They're like, you never said that in church. So we move announcements to the end, right, when everybody's still here. Uh, or those of you who try and skirt out right as giving statement happens, you're like, I'm leaving, tithing's happening. So you put tithing in the middle so you can't leave because then it's really awkward, <laughs> right? Uh, and so they used to mix, mix tithing and announcements at the same time. And so the tithing setup was there, and then the next announcement was that they were doing a blood drive. And so in my announcements, I said, hey, the church not only wants your money, but your blood. <laughs> I thought it was hysterical. Apparently, they did not, and I got fired from announcements <laughs> on that day. <laughs> but, but it's in this question of asking why. It's in this question of asking, God, why are you asking this of us about giving joyfully of our time, our money, our attention, and our hearts? We actually find the core of what Jesus is talking about. Do we believe the gospel? For those of us who are apprenticing Jesus, that we have been made new and are adopted into the family of God with the same rights and privileges, the same benefits as his son, Jesus. That we're sojourners and travelers who don't belong to the world the way that others do. That we're walking with our God as father and provider and master and Lord, even as we walk through this world and live the life in it. Because if we truly believe that he is provider of, any, of everything, then everything that we have actually belongs to him. See, we, we think this in our heads, but we don't always live this out in our hearts. How do we know? Because we're so protective of our stuff. And if everything belongs to him, and he wants what's best for us, then guess what? He will always know exactly what we need and how best to care for us. There's a classic scene in an 80s movie with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd called Trading Places. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are too old to know what I'm, I mean, too young to know what I'm talking about. That's okay. Um, I'm not old enough to know it. I'm just quoting it. <laughs> Kidding, I loved it. But, but the characters are forced to trade living circumstances, full life circumstances, one from poverty, poverty to privilege, the other from privilege to poverty. And there's a great scene where they bring Eddie Murphy's character into this new mansion that he's living in for the first time, and he's got a butler there, and they're trying to explain, hey, all of this stuff is yours now. And this scene is like Eddie is grabbing like the ashtray, and he's trying to stick it in his pocket, and he's taking something else, and he's just he's loading it up. And they're like, no, no, sir, you're like, they're trying to take it out of his pocket. They're like, this is all your stuff. And he's like, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, you just want to give me all this stuff. Like, and he's filling his stuff up, and they're going, hey, look, you're, you're stealing from yourself, this is all yours. And he's like, yeah, sure. You're just going to give me all this stuff. And the hardest issue that he, he has to grasp is he's like, why would somebody just pluck me out of nothingness, complete poverty, and just give me all this stuff? It doesn't make sense. And so he's holding on tight to all these things. And they're like, but, it, but it's yours. So, so this TV over here, this is just mine. Yeah. This stereo, this is just mine. And he picks up this antique vase. He's like, so this is mine. I can just break it. And they're like, yeah. So he breaks it. And he's like, that wasn't expensive, right? They're like, oh, you know. 30000 or something like that, or whatever. He's like, ah. But I love this scene. I love this scene because this really points us back to the heart of the gospel. That Jesus has plucked us out of nothingness, our brokenness. The Bible says we are, yeah, let's clap for that, right? That is amazing. That we have been plucked out of our sin. The Bible says we were dead. We were not alive. We cannot wake ourselves up from death. That we were raised to life by God and God alone. We did not do any of it. But not only were we raised to life, he adopted us as sons and daughters. And we stand in that new identity as full sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. Everything then is God's and everything that he has, he has given us and yet it's still his. When we don't give back to God a portion of our money, our time, our attention, and our hearts, not only are we kind of stealing from ourselves, but really we're, we're like taking stuff out of God's house to try and keep it for ourselves when he's already given us everything. It actually makes no sense. But God does say, look, I'm giving you everything. Why are you stealing from me? In Malachi 3, 8, the prophet says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do you rob me, you ask? And God responds by not making the payment of the tenth and the contributions. Now, yeah. we generally have a couple motivations for why we struggle to give back to God. The first is that we need to make sure that we're cared for and provided for. That's just a deep human need. And so we use our money as a form of protection to make us feel safe. You know, if I just have this much, if I'm just, if I'm just at this point, then I know, okay, I, I'm comfortable enough to, 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 be, to start being generous. You know, um, when I was younger, I used to pray this, God, if you could just give me all this money, then I'll really be generous. And, and I feel like God's like, if you're not generous now, how on earth are you going to be generous, right? For those of you who are young, this is what's crazy, right? Um, I've been in places of, of, of Deep poverty. I've been in places where it's, if, if it wasn't for that welfare, if it wasn't for that block of government cheese, our family's not making it, right? And I've been in places where, where, where God has provided in such incredible ways. Uh, and I, sometimes I wonder, like, how on earth do I get to live this life? Like, God is, God is blessed. I've seen different aspects of that. And the reality is, is that the, the more money you get, the, the more things, the, the more your lifestyle increases, it's not like you feel like, you know, when you make $30,000 a year, you're thinking, man, if I could just make $120,000 a year, I'd have all this extra. It doesn't work that way. 
Your lifestyle increases. Things fill it up. There's more demands on it. Suddenly you have this, like, you end up almost in the same place. You're like, shoot, I'm short again this month. Or how's this going to work? Because a lot of us don't live in that way. We, we expand to meet what we have. And so if you're not generous in the very beginning, some of you are very generous here, right? If you're not generous with the little things, you're never going to be given the great things. You're never going to be generous with the big things. It doesn't work that way. And so we use our money in a way to protect us, to make us feel safe. It's almost like our barrier. It's our cushion, if you will. The other motivation common to us is a desire to feel loved and valued. And so we use our money to make people see us how we want people to see us, right? We, we, we buy things or do things, maybe even above our means, so that we have this ability for people to say, oh, that's what they are like. I was laughing uh, when, I, when I first moved into Granada Hills. I was, I was uh, walking through some of the neighborhoods, and, and you come outside, and there's like a Lamborghini parked outside the garage getting dirty in the front driveway. And I'm like, you have enough to buy a Lamborghini, but not enough to put it in a garage? Like, what? That's like damaging the car. I don't understand. And somebody said it's because they want it to be seen. They want you to know they have a Lamborghini in the driveway. And I was like, there's something wrong with this picture that you would damage the very car that you bought that you obviously don't love enough to, you don't even have a car cover over it. Because what's more important to you is that you are seen having this Lamborghini than it is that you actually care for this possession. There's something broken in that. I I don't know, maybe there's another Lamborghini in the garage and they're like, still have room for two. Sometimes we, we do stuff like, <clears throat> okay, I, I, you know, um, maybe I live by the coast and, and I'm a surfer, so I want people to know that I give back to the environment, so I want to make sure I have the Surfrider sticker on my car so people know what kind of giving I do. They know that I give back. Or, hey, I'm going to put the sticker of my church on my windshield just so people know I'm a good person. There's nothing wrong with putting stickers on your car, all right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the heart behind it. The problem is, is when our heart motivation is that we use our money so that people see us in a certain way or our money is used so that we feel protected and safe. What we're actually doing is filling roles that only Jesus can fill. See, the reality is that in Jesus, as we apprentice Jesus in our new identities that we are provided for, we are loved, we are cared for. The scripture says over and over and over again that he is the one that provides for us, that cares for us in ways we can't even see or imagine, and that we are more loved and more valued than we even understand. The problem is, is that we trust our own instincts and our own feelings. And by the way, this isn't just about money. We can apply these same motivations to how we spend our time, what we give our energy and our effort to, what gets our attention and what we talk about in our daily lives. Both motivations show our unbelief in God as our protector, our provider, the one that gives us value. It's about not believing in that and not living in our new gospel identity. Now, this portion of Scripture is difficult because it really forces us to take a mirror to our own lives and be honest about it. And, and, and frankly, I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I don't like looking at my areas of my life and seeing the areas that are still unbelief in God. And there are, there are so many areas, some of you know this, I've said this a thousand times, those of you who are visiting, you will hear this a thousand times, but I constantly struggle with this need to prove myself. I literally have tattooed on my chest, nothing to prove. As a constant reminder, I, I, I joke, I should have got it backwards so I could read it in the mirror, right? <laughs> but it's a constant reminder that I have nothing to prove, God has proven it for me, and yet somehow I keep falling into this area of unbelief where I'm like, 
okay, God, I have, to, I have to prove I'm worthy of your love. I have to prove that, that the reason you've forgiven me is because I'm a good person. I, I have to go into these things, and those are unbelief, both in my gospel identity and in the gracious God who gave me that identity. So giving then is not about God needing our money, but it's about learning to trust in our provider, our creator, our father, in him instead of ourselves. It's a way to learn to be a generous person because he is so generous with us. He's given us everything, and yet somehow we get so tied up in our stuff that we have a hard time being generous, even to the one who is more generous than we will ever be. But Jesus says that when we live according to his ways and our plans, he rewards us, that we have what we need. He blesses us. We can trust him. We struggle with this because we don't believe. Some of us are like, oh, well, you know, I'll get blessed by God if I just have enough faith. And God says, I, I blessed you before you had faith. Some of us think, oh, if I just work harder, God will bless me. And God says, I, I, I bless you when you weren't dead. You weren't able to work harder. I love you and I bless you because of who I am, not because of who you are. We have to believe that. Ultimately, apprenticing Jesus is all about dying to ourselves, to our unbelief, and learning how to follow Jesus' plan and will for our lives. Ultimately, it's about dying to ourselves and learning to follow his plan and his will. I tell you, this goes against our human nature. This is exactly why Jesus is bringing it up. He's like, the kingdom of God works differently than the way that you naturally want to respond to things in your heart. And I'm telling you that our hearts are broken because of sin. This isn't the way I designed you. And so if you trust me and live according to my kingdom rules, life is better, not easier, but better. Romans 8.13 says, if you live on the basis of selfishness, you're going to die. But if, the spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the actions of the body, you will live. I don't know about you guys, but the thought or the idea of dying to self is really scary. I don't even like that terminology, dying to self. It just sounds scary. <laughs> I mean, why is it even necessary? Jesus died for me. Do I have to die to self? But life, Jesus' way, is exactly what we were created for. It's the most fulfilling, the most rewarding, and the most alive we will ever be in this lifetime. In his book, Gospel-Centered Discipleship, Jonathan Dodson says it like this. I love this. He said, God is calling us to recover and redeem this confessional, redemption, and communal, that's family, role of the church. He's calling us out of our depressive, self-centered lives into the rewarding light of faith, out of the Great Depression into the Great Spiritual War. Our spiritual war is against the flesh, that lingering vestige of our pre-Christian lives that must be put to death so we can live lives in the fullness of life given to us in Jesus. That fullness of life isn't just fullness of life for ourselves, but it's fullness of life in community with each other. There's something so incredible, incredibly just freeing about that. This is exactly what Jesus is pointing to when he gets to the portion of Scripture about how we pray he says, pray like this, verse 9. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. What he's saying is, God, you are more important than me. What you want is more important than me. Jesus says we have to pray like this because he understands our character, our nature wouldn't naturally go there. So he starts off this prayer by saying, hey, can we start our prayers off with, hey, God, what you want is more than what I want. What you want is better than I want. Verse 10 says, bring your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. In other words, let your kingdom ways and will be done instead of our ways, but we want it to be done right here in the middle of our daily lives. Not something we just do on Sunday, but on every day of the week. Can your will be done 
in our lives, and we know that we have to ask for that because we don't naturally want that, and so on. He continues on to talk about fasting. He says, when you fast, brush your hair and wash your face. Then you won't look like you're fasting to people, but only to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Just like giving, fasting is about giving up something to focus on God. It's a physical way to die to our own self, to die to our own desires, to die to our own wants or even perceived needs. And so when we give up food or video games or alcohol or whatever we are fasting from specifically to focus on God, we learn to die to ourselves and declare that God is more important than the things that we want. Jesus says the things that we value are nowhere near as important. He didn't say they weren't good. He just said they're nowhere near as important as his things, the things that he says are most important in his kingdom. The things of this life are not lasting, but the things of God are eternal. That's why we saw in verse 19 where it says, stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth where moth and rust eat them and where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourselves in heaven where moth and rust don't eat them and where thieves don't break in and steal them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus isn't saying, hey, you have to be poor Jesus isn't saying, hey, you have to you know, uh, take a vow of poverty and sell everything you own. Jesus is saying, look, where is your heart in this? Don't value this stuff more than me. Be willing to say, this stuff is cool, it's great, but it's not more important than what God calls me to do. I had a crisis of faith in, uh, in 2002. We were living in Hawaii, and God was telling us it's time to go plant a church in San Diego. And he literally told my wife and I this in our prayers. He said, sell everything you own and move. And I was like, what constitutes everything? And he was like, everything. And I'm like, yeah, but, but what about, okay, I'm a pastor, right? My book collection, it's amazing. It's like my second child, my third child. This is, this is incredible. What about this? Okay. I, I could name 10 different things that I wanted to keep. And God was like, those don't belong to you, do they? And I was like, kind of? I kind of want these things. But, but I use these things for your, your kingdom, God. This is how I study for my sermons. This, this is stuff that's really important. But, but these are good things. God, this is my favorite surfboard. This is a gift from somebody else. I can't give that away. I can't sell that. God was like, all right, whatever. I just told you everything. <laughs> how do we actually die to self? The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to us, but in the end it leads to death. It says that our hearts, our emotions, inner thoughts lie to us constantly. We are most easily deceived by ourselves. Why? Because deep down, we believe ourselves to be more trustworthy than anything else, including God. Think about this. We actually believe that we are more trustworthy than God deep down. The only way to fight that false narrative is to remind ourselves of the truth constantly. The truth is who we are now as new creations in Jesus. We can't do this on our own. When we try to do this on our own, without the Holy Spirit, we only become more moral, not more righteous. If you're taking notes today, this is our second and final observation for the day. When we think we can apprentice Jesus of our own effort, that's without the Holy Spirit, that's out with other people, helping us speak into our lives, apart from community, apart from anything other than ourselves. When we think we can apprentice Jesus in our own effort, then Jesus becomes an idea we believe, not a person we can trust. 
When we think we can apprentice Jesus in our own effort, then Jesus becomes an idea we believe, not a person we can trust. Romans 8.13 tells us to fight and put to death our sinful patterns of anxiety, of self-pity, of anger, of fear, of man, of vanity, of pride, of lust, of greed, and every sin we encounter through the power of the Holy Spirit. These sins are always the result of our unbelief, the result of a heart that's brought that's bought into believing in something other than the gospel, the gospel that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus, not through our own efforts. He saved us. He's renewing us. He is saving us and renewing us, and someday he will save us and renew us completely one day. And we fight these lies by constantly living in and believing his truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does this look like practically? I hate when church says, hey, go do this, and you're like, that's great, but how, pastor? Here are some practical ways. What if whenever we read the Bible and we feel like we didn't get anything out of it, we pause to ask the Spirit for insight into God's truth and promises, to say, Spirit, have you been, you've been given to us so that we can understand all things freely by you. Will you give me insight into your word right now? Or if you heard something you believe God is telling you, but you don't know what to do with it, what would happen if you asked God, Spirit, no one knows my heart like you do. Help me to experience and understand my need and the response to you that's in line with your will and not mine. Or if you heard from God but didn't like what he's telling you to do or asking you to do, what would happen if you prayed and asked God's Spirit, give me the desire to want what you want because I don't right now. To live as you want me to live because I don't want to live that way right now. Or to respond in the way you want me to respond because I don't want to respond that way right now. If praying and giving and fasting are all things about the heart, then we must see that God wants us to have a right heart in all of these things. Look, God is not looking for more money or skinnier Christians. Okay, maybe some skinnier Christians. But we have to ask ourselves, when we give, we pray, we fast, are we giving out of trust for God or are we not? If we're not, sometimes we just do things to check the box. Well, I do this because this is what church expects me to. But God wants us to do things because of the heart behind it. This is why he wants cheerful givers of our time, our money, our resources, our treasures, the things that are valuable to us. Not because he needs it, but because he wants our hearts. Are we doing anything to learn and see ourselves and our desires as secondary to God's wills and desires? Are we sacrificing? It's great to give out of our overflow and our abundance and be like, yeah, here's a couple bucks, God. And God's like, that doesn't show a heart of whether or not you're trusting me. I'm not here to say you have to give more. I'm here to say, what is God telling you? Because ultimately, he, it's between him and you. There's no set of steak knives for a top giver in the church, Okay. You don't get a special parking spot, even though Rev keeps trying to convince me to put it under the canopy over here. It doesn't work. But ultimately, I want to encourage you that God's love for you is not dependent on what you do. God loves you because of who he is. And so everything that we do should be a response to this incredible God who's loved us so graciously, who's been so generous with us. And he hasn't left us alone to figure it out. He gives us the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are apprenticing Jesus, the Holy Spirit is right here every, every step of the way. For those of you who want to apprentice Jesus, but you haven't made that commitment yet, God is a pursuant God. He loves you. He, he literally humiliates himself to come after you. He longs to have a relationship with you and show you his way and his truth are better than the things that we have been trusting in. And so if you want to know more about apprenticing Jesus, we have some people who would love to talk with you and pray with you and help you walk into those next steps. They're at the next step tables outside and in the front lobby. We would love to spend some time with you. Those of you online, you can follow the link posted by our admin. Let's pray.
God, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your grace, that you are so good, that you are so right. I praise you, Lord, that we don't have to prove ourselves to you, that you have given us everything in abundance, in love, and, and not conditionally either. Just simply, this is who I am. Come and live in the abundance and grace that I've already given. I pray that we would truly know what it means, that we would understand each of us to know how to live as your beloved son and daughter in Christ. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus.